Seinfeld, the pilot is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recaps, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who both have their own box of raisins. I'm Rob Sistrin. He's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I hate raisins, first of all. Six Semper Tyrannus. <laughs> really? You learning experience? Learn all this Latin? Uh, you like raisins? I don't know. I don't like raisins. I thought you said you like raisinettes. I, I do, but I don't like raisins. I also don't like chocolate, but for some reason I like raisinettes, which are chocolate and raisins. So you like neither raisins nor chocolate, but you like raisinettes? Yeah, it's like blue and purple make whatever they make. And like, I don't like blue or purple. But I think I like blue and colors. purple just makes kind of like a bluish purple. Yeah, I don't I, I wasn't good with the colors thing. <laughs> I was left back that year. <laughs> so, Akiva, here we are. The end of season four. It's the end of an era here on the Seinfeld Post Show Recap. Yeah, it is really like a landmark episode. It feels like a mini series finale, like a halfway point, even though we're not quite at the halfway point. It's just such a big episode. It's like the biggest one they've done so far. It's a big episode. Originally aired on May 20th, 1993, also known as the day of the Cheers finale. Yeah, it led into the Cheers finale. Did you watch uh, the Cheers finale like you said you were going to? No, I totally forgot. <laughs> I got to like write, I got to write myself a note. <laughs> That's that. fine. I really, I really would have too. I trust me. I had the time to. I know you're very thorough. I am, but I, 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 uh, I never thought I, I it never came up during the week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, you know, the most rated episode of the series so far. Wikipedia says it was the most rated until the finale, but I know for sure that's not even close to true. Just looking at the numbers, they were averaging more than this by like season. The six. highest rated or the best received? No, well, they, when they say ratings on Wikipedia, they're talking about viewers, but. Got it. I mean, I don't even know how you rate like an individual. I mean, we are, but I don't know like how the media would would have been like rating individual episodes of Seinfeld back then. Cheers must have been an hour and 38 minutes that night because it says on the uh, USA Today that's linked to on Wikipedia that it started at 922. Yeah, it's a long show. Unless it was only 38 minutes, not an hour 38. Oh, that no, I think it was 90 minutes and they brought back a lot of stuff. Oh, wow. It's a long show. That's how they did it. They're going to go out with a bang. Yeah, and they had to. Shelly like, Long came back. Well, now I'm not going to watch it. Now you just spoiled the whole thing for me. It wasn't a spoiler. Oh, she was like advertised? Yeah. Because I mean, she was part of the show. And then she ended up coming back for the last episode. But that's neither here nor there. Let's not get too far down the Cheers finale rabbit hole. Save that for We are talking about the season four finale of the pilot. Finally, when Jerry and George end up filming the premiere, the pilot episode of Jerry, the season four sitcom we've been working towards all year long. It's exciting. Parts of the year. Yeah. For at least the first half of the season. Taking a lot of break from, from the Jerry uh, pilot. So here we are. We got a lot to get to here today. Very excited to have you guys here with us on the season four finale. Season five is kicking off soon. Keep and I still have not officially decided what we're doing on next week's show, whether we're going to start season five or do something in between. Have you had any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I feel like it's, I could go either way. We could definitely come up with a fun show between four and five. Or we could plow ahead. I really, I'm going to leave it up to you. Let's see how this episode goes. Let's see if anything comes up. Okay, fine. So we will talk about that along the way. Akiva, do you have any news before we get into talking about the finale? Yeah, I'll give you a quick, uh, quick news since it's a long show. Um, at the Television Critics Association, uh, some event, uh, Jeff Garland talking about uh, your favorite show, The Goldbergs. Yeah. Was asked about the fate of Curb Your, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he told critics there's a decent chance that they could return. And when they asked him to give a number, he said 51%. 51%. 
He said, LD is so gosh darn rich, he doesn't have to do anything unless it's good. If he writes two episodes and he's not happy with them, it won't happen. You know, he's got to get through seven for it to happen. He said that the Goldbergs will not preclude him from doing Curb if and when it comes back. But uh, they've discussed it. Uh, he has discussed it with Larry, but that's as far as it's gone so far. Why does he have to do seven? If Larry David said, hey, I want to end Curb Your Enthusiasm with a two-hour movie, if I want to do four episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, who would say no? Nobody. I think he was saying that if he under the 10-season, 10 10-episode 10 season that they've been doing, if he wasn't happy with the first few episodes, he would just cancel it rather than put out inferior content. I think that's what uh, Garland was saying. Okay. The Gar- By the way, everyone says Garland's a jerk. Really? Just FYI, yeah. I've never heard a good word about him. I've heard interviews with him. He seems like a really good guy. He's very funny. Like, he is a funny guy. But I, I don't know. Like, usually, like, people keep this stuff in-house. But, like, I've heard a lot of, like, Garland is a jerk stuff. Mm, very funny. Yeah. But, uh, Garland, if you want to come on the podcast and defend yourself, we'll have you on. <laughs> Jeff, thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate that. Akiva has alleged that many people say you're a jerk. Do you feel that? Is, is that based on where there's smoke, there's fire? Uh, I believe he would, I mean, he would just curse us out. He has a, like a filthy mouth, like his uh, TV wife. I think he'd just curse us out and leave. Okay, let me give you a quick Seinfeld scene at trivia question before we get into it. This uh, I was just hoping you'd forget. <laughs> the package. Why do a trivia question when we have two episodes? In the package, George showed Jerry a picture of himself at the Wax Museum standing next to what statuesque actor? Oh, I have no idea. No clue? Uh, Tom Selleck. Close, Burt Reynolds. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking mustache. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yep. Let's go back to May 20th, 1993. I've never gotten any feedback on the trivia question if people like that or hate that we do that. Uh, I think Johnny DeSavera likes that he's beating me by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> May 20th, 1993, 8 p.m., written by Larry David. Here we go. It's the pilot, and it starts off with Jerry doing the stand-up with the bright red jacket. You like when Jerry wears the red jacket in the stand-up? I mean, almost all of his sartorial choices are, are not don't really hold up well. And so he talks about fear of success and talks about how is there an AA group for this and how the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Number two is dying. So at a funeral, people would rather be the person in the casket than the person being the eulogy. I feel like this has already come up. I mean, I think that maybe this is just such an iconic joke, but I feel like really like I'm like this again. Yeah, um, of, yeah, of course, it, I, because it's so famous that it like transcends this episode. But I really it is one of my favorite Seinfeld bits. And it's true. It's like uh, it is, you know, it is scary to do, uh, you know, any kind of public speaking. I know we've talked about this so many times, but it really Seinfeld material is so well known that it sounds hacky when you see him doing it. Well, I, I, you, you could say that about the show also, like a lot of the jokes, like they're, you it's know, ripped so off fun. so much. Yeah, they were ripped off so many times. They're like, oh, they're doing that when in reality they invented it. Yeah, so it's funny to go back and watch it now. So let's go to the first scene in the episode, which takes place at Jerry's apartment. And Kramer is arguing, why can't Kramer play Kramer? Akiva, what I want to know from you is how much of this subplot in this episode of Kramer wanting to play Kramer, Kramer wanting to act with Kramer, Kramer wanting to coach the Kramer that they pick, how much of that is based on the real life Kenny Kramer's interactions with Michael Richards? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not totally sure. I, th- I think you cross that with the, the meta joke that uh, Jerry's acting as himself and that nobody, including Jerry, thinks that Jerry's a good actor. So I think like all, that joke 
is totally connected. I'm sure Kenny Kramer asked a million times, so I think like we're both right here. I think so. Yeah, it was hard to tell because there's no inside look on this episode, correct? Right, it's weird. So you would think that there would have been almost definitely an inside look where they would have said, oh yeah, Kenny Kramer was always trying to give Michael Richards advice or reaching out to us or talking about how he wanted to play himself. But you have to imagine, knowing what we know about Kenny Kramer, that this absolutely was true. Yeah, especially since it's had his name. It must have eaten him alive. I mean, just think about... I mean, obviously the show couldn't have made it if Kenny Kramer was playing Kramer <laughs> instead of Michael Richards. And so everything they're saying is true. The show can survive with the straight man being, um, you know, a non-actor because Jerry doesn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting, which I guess they did intentionally. But if you give Elaine, you know, if Elaine is played by Carol Leifer, let's say, who's a writer on Seinfeld, who's, you know, maybe partially uh, responsible for the Elaine character or, or you know, George, or you know, George, I guess Larry could have pulled off George, but certainly Elaine, uh, Kenny Kramer or Carol Leifer, like, obviously there's no show. Like, the sh- we're not talking about the show now. Yeah, you could be the straight person, I think, and get away with not having to do as much of the comic stuff because I think that you want your regular character, your nucleus character, to not be as broad as some of the periphery characters. Totally. I think that's sitcom 101. 103, I don't know. (laughs) 101 is, I don't know what sitcom 101 is. So... Let's talk about Kramer and this desire to be in the show. Don't you think that this was also a weird omission that the season three finale was all about Kramer wanting to have the acting bug? And in the same episode where Elaine wanted to have the writing bug or had the writing bug and wrote a spec script for Murphy Brown. So Elaine desperately wants to be a writer. They don't include her in the writing process. Kramer moves to Los Angeles because he gets the bug from the Woody Allen movie of wanting to be an actor. And they don't even let Kramer even consider being the actor. Yeah, I like here's I, I think the way it works also. I mean, and again, they, they like they take a lot of Hollywood liberties with the pilot because oh, sure. it, it's aired on television, which no pilot, I think, in history has ever been aired even today. Like Amazon.com actually does that now where they make pilots and then people they invented like, that. Yes. Uh, well, Seinfeld invented it, right? And then and then nobody did it for 20 years, and then Amazon does it now. Yeah, I think they air it after a pickup. It's not like it would never see the light of day, but it would No, not. Amazon Amazon makes pilots, and then they, they decide based on feedback. No, I'm just saying on the traditional broadcast model that they would make a pilot, and then that it could exist as episode one of the series. And then Of course, but the, uh, they've never aired one before they've decided. Right. To the best of my knowledge. Maybe there is some... Sometimes they know, you know, sometimes they do the back, what's called the backdoor pilot. Yeah. We, uh, which is like, uh, you know, a, a spinoff type show where like the, se- you know, a season finale or just an episode late in the season will be about a new character like Joey or something, you know, from fr- that sort of thing. Right. Like the episode of The Office where they did the farm. Exactly. Exactly. Good call. So, but with a pilot, there's only a couple people work on a pilot. Like you don't have a whole writing staff for a pilot, right? Yeah. It's usually just the writers. Maybe they have one guy punch it up. But then, so let's say it was like the Rob Sesternino pilot, right? Okay. Canceled. So then like you're writing and then you find the, uh, a, a writing partner. Okay. Yeah. So then, so you pick, let's say you write it with uh, Josh Wiggler. Okay. Okay. So now I'm not, I'm pretend I'm Kramer. I'm not mad because that's a one or two person job. So that's Kramer should be fine. Now the problem is if the show gets picked up, I'm expecting if I'm not in the writer's room, I want at least like, be like have a no-show job on the okay, show. So you know Kramer I mean? wants to play Newman on the show. Yeah, like either be Newman. Like I'll, I'll be fine if I'm just like get to eat the craft services. I don't need to like a real job. Do you know okay. what I mean? Got it. <laughs> but 
but so that's what Kramer doesn't need. Like he's not ready yet. I think probably this happened off screen. That's why we didn't see it. Right. That Jerry said, oh, don't worry. Like if we have to and assume like it wasn't mentioned, but they would have had to move out to L.A. Yeah. Although in this fake world, they make they make pilots in New York. So I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure if that's a possibility to make a pilot in New York, a multi-camp sitcom. Yeah, I, I don't think it's been done. I mean, if it would have been done, you know, Seinfeld would have done it since it was a New York based show. Uh, you know, if that was a thing. I mean, obviously, dramatic shows are frequently filmed in New York, like Law and Order and uh, Boardwalk Empire and stuff like that. Yeah, but not like on a multicam soundstage. No, no, not like the Goldbergs is not filmed in New York, even though I'd imagine it takes place on the East Coast. It's also a single cam uh, show. Whatever, I've never seen it. <laughs> that being said, so Kramer is saying that he wants to be in the show. Jerry is saying uh, you can't be in the show because you're not an actor. And he says, well, Jerry's not an actor. And so we don't need two people in the show that aren't actors. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sound logic. And so they're saying, Kramer is saying, go on and test me. I can pretend to laugh. He's pretending to laugh. Jerry is pretending to laugh. And so they're both pretending to laugh. And George walks in. They're so unconvincing that he says, why are you two pretending to be laughing? Yeah, Jerry's uh, fake laugh is so bad that like he's almost fake laughing poorly on purpose, whereas Kramer's is is passable. Yeah. And it's funny because you expect George to walk in and say, hey, what are you guys laughing on? What's so funny? Tell me what's going on. He's just deadpan. Why are you guys pretending to be laughing? Yeah. Funny. So they're waiting for some word from Russell. They want to do auditions. This whole thing happens all very quick. We go. Yeah, from, this happened, I guess, between the last episode and this one. A lot yeah. has happened. This is almost like Jerry is hosting SNL this week. That's like how accelerated the schedule is. We go from in this course of one week, we go from casting to filming the pilot to boom, the show's on TV. By the way, you like you just said this now and Jerry wasn't really famous enough. But Jerry hosting SNL would have been a really interesting episode. <laughs> Sure. Did you ever go back and watch the Jason Alexander hosted SNL? Oh my God. I'm making myself. Hold on. I'm writing it down now. Yeah. Keep talking. <laughs> Cheers finale. That's next week's show. <laughs> Cheers finale. Jason Alexander SNL. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? I definitely remember the Jerry Seinfeld like early 90s SNL because they did the game show of what is the deal? And then yes. they like all of the questions. It was like him Sandler and I forget who the third guy was that was buzzing in like who are the ad wizards who came up with that campaign uh yeah and I do feel like that was the beginning of Jerry Seinfeld as the what is the deal guy is that his only SNL hosting no he's done it a couple other times okay and of course he was on it for the finale uh the, the anniversary this year I would say Jerry Seinfeld has hosted SNL three times uh, Dana Carvey was the other guy. Yeah. So according to the SNL wiki, uh, he actually hosted only twice on April 18th, 1992 and October 2nd, 1999, but made cameos a few different times. Very few. I mean, he must have really not been interested because you'd imagine they were asking him every year back then. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised he only hosted twice. <laughs> what, is that? what the hell does he want to go and spend a week doing SNL for? No, there's zero upside for him. <laughs> right. If you're a TV person, he's less upside than if you're having a movie come out and that's really good to promote the movie. In terms of the TV show, I think it means less in terms of promoting the TV show that you're on, especially when it's a hit already. Yeah, I, it would be great to see LD host an episode, but you know that's never happening. Probably not, but you never know. You never know exactly 
if it might happen or not. I mean, I, the, I'm sure the option is open to him. If he called Lauren, I'm sure he'd, he'd be in there right away. No, they'd give him a slot. Well, the thing is that he does have the history with the show where he got fired by Dick Emberg. Right. That was 35 years ago, though. I think I think they I think uh, Mr. Ebersole has. Uh, well, he's not even uh, Emberg. I, I think uh, Lauren Michaels has forgiven him. Yeah. So he's forgiven from that. Anyway, so we're waiting for the phone call from Russell because we, nothing has happened in a long time. And we find out that Russell has just been pining for Elaine just obsessively. What is it about Elaine with these guys? She's very charming. She's very charming. So Russell and Elaine are in the restaurant. He is obsessed with her. He can't get her out of his mind. Elaine says, you are the president of NBC. You can have any woman you want. But he can't because he wants Elaine. We always want what we can't have. Is that true? Like the president of NBC can just snap his fingers and pick up any lady? I don't know if he could have any lady. I think that's probably chauvinistic to say that he could have any woman that he wants. Well, I don't, but, you know what I mean? Not literally, but does he have his pick of the litter? I would think that many powerful and rich people, men or women, could probably have many things that they desire, including people <laughs> of the opposite gender or the same gender that they are interested in. All uh, right, sure. Yeah. I don't think that we're really reinventing the wheel with this hot take of that powerful executives could land attractive women. No, of course not. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, right. If Russell Dalrymple was not an NBC executive, I feel like he'd have a hard time picking up women because it seems like he's having a hard time even as an NBC executive. But he's the head of a network and he's a very wealthy man. And I think he could probably do well for himself. Considering the first time we saw him at his apartment, he had a very striking woman in the apartment, having dinner with him. That was Denise Richards. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was his daughter. No, I'm not talking about her. Yes, you know, you are correct. We did The one woman we saw it with was, uh, was uh, very attractive. Yes. So Elaine is telling him that she doesn't even like TV. She doesn't even like what he does. She can't even really respect him. It's network television. Come on. A lot of a lot of dissing of network TV, like when George tries to pick up those ladies in the bar earlier this season. It never goes well. I don't know. I feel like TV, they should all, they just had to wait like 15 years. Now TV is where it's at. Like there's a lot of respect now for TV writers. But network TV? Yeah, probably even less respect than that. <laughs> I think if you were going to say like, oh, I'm making a show that's on Netflix. They're like, oh, wow. What, a, what an auteur you are. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a staff writer on mom. Mm. Okay, well, <laughs> look, <laughs> okay, we're going to go down this Again, that is a very well-regarded show. So that is not maybe in the, the right Nino household. I don't know of the in the greater United States area. I think that you are in the minority on that one. Get down off your uh, watch. Watch that show one time. Uh, hold on, I'm putting it on the list, Mom. Why don't you put the Big Bang Theory on the list? Big also, Big Bang Theory. It's on there already. None of those are my favorite shows, but I think you paint them with the same brush that you would paint like a yes dear. And I think that it's a little bit. Of Are you a insulting thing. Yes Dear? Yes, I am. No, yes, yes Dear. I am. Yes Dear was really the worst show ever. Yeah. Uh, because I think that the, uh, Chuck Lorre knows what he's doing. Well, Chuck Lorre made Yes Dear. Did he? No. Yes. I don't think so. Oh, no, that's Greg Garcia, I think. <laughs> that's the My Name is Girl guy. But he also made Also made The Millers. Greg Garcia? Yeah. So you're saying he's hit or miss? Chuck Lorre is the guy chuck laurie is the you know heisenberg of sitcoms he knows what he's doing yeah garcia's yes dear my name is earl raising hope in the millers yeah 
People love those shows also, but <laughs> not enough to keep them on the air. They're all right. gone. The guy who knows what he's doing at making hits is Chuck Lorre. So all right. that being listen, said, let's be fair. If Chuck Lorre offered me or you a writing job, we, I wouldn't even like, I you know, wouldn't even stop. I'd like jump up, take it, give him a big wet kiss. Yes. Uh, so I'm not like saying that I'm holier than that. Okay. I would even work on the craft services there just to, you know, just for the food. He's the modern day sitcom king, Chuck Lorre. He's the Larry David of the, uh, of the, of the tens. Yes, he is. Nevertheless, Elaine is telling Russell about how she's really just not impressed <laughs> with what he's doing. And he's trying to tell her about this show, about how exciting the, the Seinfeld show is. And it's almost like there is such a disconnect between these two characters. And he even mentions it like, oh, we're doing this show with Jerry Seinfeld. It's so inventive. It's a show about nothing. He was actually in the restaurant when you were there that day. And nobody puts two and two together, for, or at least Russell doesn't, that there's a character in the show named Elaine. <laughs> That's his ex-girlfriend. There's, there's this whole uh, scene like is frustrating because they were like pretty clearly together at some point in that restaurant. And yes. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, yeah, Elaine and George and uh, they're like he mentions it, but it almost makes it worse that Dalrymple realizes like if Dalrymple's just an idiot who doesn't even know that there's a connection. That's one thing. But like he's like, oh, yeah, he just he doesn't he says it like very uh, nonplussed. Yeah. You know, he's just like, oh, yeah, John Seinfeld was actually right next to us in the restaurant when we were talking like there's nothing to it. Elaine says if you were doing something, maybe like Greenpeace, maybe. But right now you're part of the problem, Russell. I do like that Elaine, like she's a horrible person, but she'll like once in a while she'll get on her high horse and she'll have this kick like, uh, you know, she'll care about the environment, but she does like throwing garbage out the window. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. I have an alternate ending to this episode that I wanted to run past you. Okay. So you want to do it now or at the end? Well, let's, let me just go ahead and put a pin in it just so I don't forget to tell you. So just, we'll come back to my alternate ending later on. Okay. Because I feel like the Greenpeace thing is a little soft. I mean, the scene, well, it doesn't really, the scene doesn't really work. Yeah. Okay. So we go back to Jerry's apartment. Kramer ends up taking a phone call. There's some talk about George. He's wearing sweatpants. Jerry is saying he is signaling that to the world he is giving up. Is that true? Is sweatpants equal I give up? I, I, that's what everyone says. <laughs> I think if you wear sweatpants out in public, obviously in your house, you can walk around in sweatpants. Or if you work from home, in theory, you could, you know, mm -hmm. wear, assuming you wear pants, you can wear sweatpants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in public, it's not a great look. But I feel like since 1993, when this episode originally aired, I do feel like that there are other pants that are sort of like, oh, I'm wearing like sort of like windbreaker pants or whatever you would call them. This are like track pants or something like that, that you stuff you would wear to the gym. I feel like that's kind of socially acceptable. Uh, definitely the norms have, I, I think, become more laxed in terms of what you can wear. Yeah. You know, like people wear yoga pants or things yoga like pants, that. Sure. That, you know, that would not have flown or like people would have, you know, they would have done like a whole episode about that in, when Seinfeld was on. But like, that's not pants. You know, you're wearing your underwear. But like, um, I, yeah, I, th I think nowadays you can get away with anything. Yeah. I think that the big difference is if you're wearing the sweatpants, but you are not doing any physical activity. I think that's really the key. Or you can wear your sweatpants on your way to do something. Like if you wear them, play basketball or go to the gym or something. You can stop at the grocery store on your way home. Well, yeah, but then you have to wear a sign saying like, I'm really doing something. I'm just stopping off here. Yeah. 
So there's a call waiting. Kramer hangs up on them. It turns out it was NBC. It was Russell's secretary. They're ready for casting tomorrow at 4 p.m. And this sends George into a tailspin. He's very unhappy about casting. And we don't really understand why until we see him in his therapist's office. Yeah, he's afraid of success. Yeah, he's nervous. God won't let him be successful. And I do. I love. I love the um, the back and forth between the therapist Dana and George here. Where third appearance where, this season? Yeah, where, where Dana says, uh, "What do you mean God's going to do things to you? You don't believe in God." And he says, "I do for the bad stuff." Yeah, which is kind of how people work. I think. No, I think that you're hitting the nail on the head for that. Yeah, this was. I, I really like that. That was a funny line. Yeah, and it's funny that there's three scenes with Dana, the therapist, over the course of the season. They all end exactly the same way. Yes, <laughs> storming, out, storming out. Like, does he have to call and like beg for her forgiveness in order to schedule an appointment, or, or yeah. is she just like short on clients, so she'll see George whenever he wants? Yeah, not to mention that you would think that George would have a good in your face for her, considering that she said that it wasn't a funny show, and now here it is going to be filmed. Oh, I'm sure we didn't see that, but I'm sure there was a whole session just about that. So she notices that there is a white discoloration on George's lip. And he's trying to figure out what it is, trying to wipe it off. She says, you better get that checked out. Yeah. Now, is Dana a psychiatrist or a psychologist? She's a psychiatrist, right? I'm not sure. Because like, at least then she went to medical school and she has sort of some, you know, background. Yeah. But either way, like, don't don't start making your patients crazy over nonsense. And George is really just blown away that she would say this to him. Well, you better get that checked up on. What kind of therapist are you? I bet you're rooting for the tumor. Yeah. He says, no matter how bad somebody feels, you can make them feel worse. (laughs) She really is not a great therapist. Yeah. So George is really just going haywire over this white discoloration. We see George in the taxi with Jerry. And so he's trying to show him the uh, discoloration. Jerry doesn't see anything. Yeah, but the cab driver does. Cab driver does. I'd get that checked out if I were you. (laughs) Now he's getting (laughs) medical advice from his therapist and his cab driver. Yeah. George says he's not going to the doctor because then it's not real if he doesn't go to the doctor. And Jerry says, yeah, but maybe they could catch it in time. And then (laughs) George gets really upset. What do you mean? Catch what? (laughs) So he's very much uh, upset about all this. We see that there is somebody who is wiping the windows with a squeegee in the taxi. And then it turns out to be none other than our old friend, Crazy Joe Davola. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Mayor de Blasio. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy I don't know. Joe I read Dibola. the post. They say that's coming back. That's coming back. Have you ever had any sort of experience with those people? When I was young. I mean, they really went away for many years under the Giuliani regime. And like people say they came back, but I don't think they're really back now. But. Uh, when I was very young and it's scary, like, you know, they, cl- they, they clean it, but they're not even really cleaning it with some newspaper. And yeah. then like they demand, you know, like two bucks or whatever. Yeah. It's one of those things. And there's a lot of things in life where you didn't even want it. And then people did it and it's like, Hey, where's the money? It's like what those else? people that what are like that? in times square that they like take a picture with you. And then, and then you don't even want that. Or these kids that try to give you uh, chocolate bars. Uh, yeah, that's true. I feel like it's all the same people. <laughs> <laughs> like those kids are the ones in the Elmo costume in Times Square. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a real pain in the neck when you are going into the uh, supermarket or into the drugstore. It's like I was trying to go in the other entrance, not where somebody's trying to sell me candy bars or something like that. Yeah, well, I'll avoid them, too. <laughs> I guess I could probably do that. It's not kosher. And then if it is, I'm in trouble. Then you got. Oh, <laughs> can I can I use that? 
Yeah, yeah, do it for sure. Yeah, because I feel bad to say that something like, oh, I can't have it for medical reasons or something. I feel like that's sort of the bad stuff that God would uh, smite you for. Mm-hmm. But could I say, could I just say it's not kosher? And then Wait, it's so God drinks. will be fine if you claim to be Jewish. Oh, I didn't claim to be Jewish. I just said it, like it's not kosher. That's yeah. But maybe it, to them, you're saying, oh, it's not kosher to like be asking people for money outside the store. Like they don't even know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm just using it as a phrase. Like, is sure. it kosher if I uh, go ahead and cut the line here? Yeah, so try try that next time you go to the store. Tell me how it works. I will. <laughs> I will report but back. If it's, but if, it, if they say, oh, no, there's like an OU on it, it is kosher, you have to buy it. <laughs> then they get me. Then they get me. So we go to the casting meeting. And now we are seeing that George is asking everybody in the meeting, oh my God, do I have like a white discoloration? And apparently people, other people can see it. It's nothing that you could see on camera, right? Nothing. You didn't try to no, like no, zoom no. in? I don't, I don't think so. So we end up getting to see people coming in to read. No Russell at this meeting. And we see our first guy, Mark Matz. And Mark Matz, in my mind, is the most 90s looking MFR we've ever seen on Seinfeld to this point. It's true, and George loves him. George wishes that this is the guy who plays George. Yeah, it's funny because here comes Mark Matt, and he is such a 90s guy, and he's like, hey. And so we see that George is like, wow, this guy is really me. And Jerry's like, no way, this isn't George. What do you think? He's too good looking? Yeah, I think that's what Jerry was trying to say. Now, Mark Matt, is this Stephen Matz's dad? Uh, yeah, well, his real name is Roger Rose, so maybe yeah. he's P. Rose's son. <laughs> no, I actually, have, I have met Roger Rose a bunch of times. Really? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that that was him until you said it. But yeah, I know, I know uh, he used to work with people that I used to, that I used to know. And he is a I, real 90s guy. Yeah, he, I, he's a big voiceover guy. Voiceover, see, on his yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize that. And so, I know we would have gotten Roger Rowe. Well, he really has one line. I don't think we needed to have him on this week. But. Yeah, probably not. But that is very funny. So then <laughs> we have a couple other people come in. Uh, we have Michael Barth, who's Jeremy Piven. I mean, Piven must have tried to get you know tapes of this episode destroyed, right? Yeah, I think so. He comes off as totally a different guy. I mean, he's really in character to be Michael Barth. And, and the hair also is really... Uh, yeah. hard, it's hard to pretend that that's... His real hair when, uh, by the way, Roger Rose, 70 followers on Twitter. Oh, man. I don't even follow him on Twitter. But I know him. Yeah, I, I, yeah Piven here, it's not, it's not his best look. It's like, you know, Tom Cruise, they would say he would like try and get like Katie Holmes movies that he didn't like, like that, you know, destroyed or like taken off HBO or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, one more Entourage movie, Piven's going to do that to this episode. Jeremy Piven, he has like the Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder look here. You think he's wearing a, like a bald wig? Like it's not, he's not really bald? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. So I'm trying to see for Jeremy Piven what he had done before. This is really one of the first things that he's done. And then like the bit of the 90s bump that he's going to have, like doing things like PCU and stuff like that. That's going to come after this. Yeah, this is this is literally one of his first like jobs. First job anybody's seen. One of his first things. So there you go. There's Jeremy Piven. And so he is almost exactly like George. He comes in, he says there's something wrong with his feet. He has gangrene. He asks about George. <laughs> what is he, some kind of loser? And George's like, no, he's not a loser. <laughs> Very defensive about that. Don't you think it's weird that Jerry and George were able to remember all these conversations that they had verbatim? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's a good question, right? Like, they do the scene with Jeremy Piven as George, the scene back from, I believe it's The Note, which is the season three premiere, if I right. remember. You're me. right, they are doing it word for word. But listen, you know, George isn't good at many things. Maybe he has a great memory. Photographic memory. He talks about the scene where it moved. Yeah, I mean, so that's a memorable scene. But yeah, the fact that they're getting like every sort of tense down, that was pretty impressive. It was a memorable scene on Seinfeld, but was it a memorable moment in their lives? It's, I mean, now we're getting mad. It's a good question. I think so. I mean, how often does it move at the, uh, you know, at the uh, at the, the masseuse's office? I don't know. I think it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so Melissa Shannon comes in and we see a bit of the pervy Jerry come back. Yeah, you know, Jerry hasn't had, you know, he's he's on the lookout for a new girlfriend. And, uh, you know, to him, this is like going to be his new Elaine. It's weird that we go from we have this woman here and then the Elaine that gets picked. We don't have any sort of sense of her in the auditions. And we go from that. Oh, Jerry's going to meet up with the woman that's playing Elaine. And you sort of expect it to be this woman. Yeah, this is Mariska Hargitay. Yeah. And so here she is. And Jerry is really being very forward with her. At the auditions, and then George ends up kicking her out. Yeah, right, right, George, like George, right, George. I didn't know George has the power to just kick someone out on his own, but no. uh, you would think that this would be a major violation of the bro code or whatever sort of friendship of whether. I mean, it wasn't like she was a horrible actress, and they should get rid of her. No, they had a lot of chemistry together. So they had chemistry together, and it was just like, oh, no, I don't want my friend picking up a, a woman here. Next, please. Like he's not even like, oh, this is going to be an HR violation. Yeah, I mean, not that George cares about HR violations. He already slept with one of the execs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was weird. And there's no sort of payoff to that of George. Right, and, we don't, and the only person we don't see audition is the new Elaine. Mm-hmm. So then we have a montage of Kramers. We have like a fat Kramer. We have other Kramers, young Kramer, old Kramer. Any Kramers stand out to you? Um, well, first of all, this is this uh, episode has by far the most montages of anything in the whole series. A lot of montages. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, there, I, I'll say the one I like least is the one they picked, which I guess was intentional. Like he's unlikable on purpose, but you know, I'm not a big fan of the fake Kramer. Yeah, Larry Hankin plays the fake Kramer. He is going to be probably best known as Mr. Heckles on Friends, that he was the guy who lived upstairs. You saw us come downstairs and complain. Oh, really? Yeah. That was his thing. He was like a recurring character on Friends. And then he died on Friends. Oh, he also played a homeless man god on Joan of Arcadia a couple times. (laughs) Yeah. He's a character (laughs) actor. He's been in a lot of different things. And so here he is and he comes in and he does very well. Everybody's laughing. It goes really well. But he ends up taking some raisins and then walking out with the box. And you can clearly see when you go back and watch, he does take the box of raisins. Yeah, a lot of times they'll make this ambiguous. Like, did he take the box? Didn't they? But here, like, they show you the first time. And they, you know, they reinforce it by showing him with the raisins later. But they show you, they show him take the raisins here. He did take the raisins. Should they have not shown him taking the raisins? I mean, because they always do something, it's fine if they want to mix it up once in a while. So, like, to, to switch it up here is fine. Okay. So, then comes in the real Kramer, saying that he is Martin Von Nostrand. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do think, like, if he was going to get the job, he'd have a hard time explaining, like, that's not his real name. How did he get the... He's not even an actor. I mean, I guess he was an actor. Like, 
How does he get this audition? It's pretty impressive. Like he's getting to see, you know, the executives. That's not, that's like probably like a second level interview already. Yeah. You would think that there is going to be some sort of casting director who's going to be going through all this. But I think that in the fiction of the show, they want you to think it's just the kind of thing like a high school play where you could just sign up and put your name on the list and then be in the auditions. An open casting call to be on a television show next week. <laughs> and so <laughs> Jerry's like, what are you doing here? And like, oh, you know him? Like, yeah, oh, it's the guy from the Calvin Klein underwear ad. So he has some national attention. Yeah, I guess he's famous. Maybe, you know, we, we say he's a drug dealer, but maybe he's not dealing any drugs this season. Maybe he's actually like, if they put up enough ads, they're, they're paying him Calvin Klein. He's paying his bills that way. So Kramer starts off and then he ends up getting struck by a sudden pain, which tells him he has to go to the bathroom. Now, before Kramer gets interrupted by nature having to go to the bathroom, did you feel like Kramer was doing a good job? No, because he's not a great reader. So he was really reading straight from the page, which I thought was like funny. Yeah. Um, you know, he's reading straight from the page. He's kind of nervous, uh, but maybe he's just distracted by the fact that he has to go to the bathroom. And so he runs for it and Kramer runs. Now, it seems that based on the way that he's running, it seems almost implausible to think that he would be able to make it back to his apartment. Or anywhere. I mean, his apartment's like 40 blocks away, first of all. You would think so. And he also got mugged on the way. Yeah, he gets mugged on the way. Like, a lot of things happen. And he says at a certain point that the need to go goes away. But uh, I don't know. This doesn't seem so realistic to me. Yeah, the way that he ran for it <laughs> made you feel like it was a dire emergency. Yes. So I don't know exactly how this happened. <laughs> but I did feel like that... <laughs> Maybe they should have set something up here that there was um, Kramer was already behind schedule. Behind schedule? Yeah, or at least off his schedule where the timing uh, hit him while he was at NBC. Like maybe, unless I missed it, like in the first scene, maybe he's just sort of set this up a little bit because it does really oh, like you come mean out it of comes nowhere. out of nowhere. Yeah, 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 they should have set it up a tiny bit more. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Not to nitpick Kramer going to the bathroom. So back at the diner, here's Jerry and Elaine. And so we're talking about Russell at the casting and how he is obsessed with Elaine. Is she that charming and beautiful? Nope. (laughs) So apparently Monks is under new management. And Elaine asks about this. And one of the waitresses says that they are actually looking for another person. Uh, Yeah, so she wants to apply. And file that away for later. Because I feel like there's something that doesn't make sense in this episode. And so they're talking about how all the waitresses have the same proportions, that they are all, to use the words of the great Kat Ederson, they are all top heavy at this restaurant. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it's fun. Jerry says something interesting when Elaine says the discrimination, where he says, uh, you know, that, that uh, beautiful people don't worry about, you know, working or anything like that. But then he says, you don't see any handsome homeless. But people say in LA, there are handsome homeless people. I think those are just actors who are, who are like semi homeless. You mean? Yeah, I think that that's the thing. <laughs> I feel like mostly because they are dirty and stuff like that. I think there's a difference between poor and homeless. I don't know. I've heard about hot homeless in L.A. Hot homeless that I haven't yeah. seen yet. Okay, that I have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> I know New York doesn't have hot homeless. No, definitely not. I really do feel, though, that they did not sell this well, this thing about the waitresses, because if they didn't say what they were going for, if you just showed me the pictures of the four waitresses that they cut to, I would not have said, come up with the common denominator that they were going for here. 
I wonder if they wanted to put them in low cut outfits, but then they would think it would be too broad, like too obvious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, maybe they should have gone with like more cartoonish in some way. Uh, it's a good point. It just is comedy, and you didn't really sell the joke in terms of what they were saying. And they said they were saying one thing, and I didn't wasn't really seeing that on the screen. Yeah, I mean it's hard, but I, you know because they have to also look like sisters, so it's not an easy casting job. Yeah, but uh, I don't think they're sisters in real life. Yeah, I don't, it's uh, you make a good point. <laughs> I think they cast real life sisters for this. Oh, they did. We need four busty <laughs> sisters. Was that what the? Uh... <laughs> well, it was hard to find. But don't that. worry, we're going to completely cover you up. Yeah. <laughs> Just like in the episode where George dated the woman with the bad nose, it was also, you know, it was a little bit like they tried to sell that a little bit, right? Right. So anyway, we go to George, the doctor, getting the biopsy. Yeah, doctor's never seen this before. Mm. And so George is asking the doctor, do you think it's cancer? The doctor does not, uh, he's noncommittal. It's like, I don't know what it is. George was preferring he get the cancer. Get out of here. But uh, yeah, Jerry says back in the apartment that he's not a get out of here type of guy. Yeah, maybe he's not a get out of here kind of guy. And George feels like, well, they should teach you that at medical school. I mean, I'm sure they work on, you know, bedside manners type stuff, right? That's an interesting question. I don't know if they do that or not. That Maybe that's a good question for Chester's wife. Yeah, well, Chester's wife is our new medical. And, and also the Australian dude. We have two medical cards. Yes. Yes. They want to. And maybe they do it differently in, in the U.S. and Australia. So. But I, I would be interested both. to know how much with a physician do they work on bedside manner? If somebody is saying something where they're asking a lot of questions, do they teach you a way to answer questions to put people at ease? Or if they're having a lot of concerns to try to make them feel better? Or do they just focus on the stuff that's in the books, on the actual medicine? Where does it go by uh, like specialty, like internists or pediatricians? You know, like they're, you know, they're spending a lot of time on that, whereas like surgeons like don't care. It's really interesting. I would love to know. Or is it just the kind of thing you learn when you do your residency? You just learn it on the job? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not like its own course in medical school, so I don't know where it would come up. But you know? should it be? Uh, it's a good question. Maybe I, it I should. Know. I mean, I, I'd rather them know more about medicine, probably. <laughs> yeah, but they should probably know both things, right? All right, so add a fifth year to medical school, and we'll spend it all on bedside manner. <laughs> I feel like it could be just one course. One class, everyone would, that would be the biggest joke class. It would be like, gym in in high school yeah you know? i think so but <laughs> nobody but would show up it. that's your and, easy and make a mandatory, all these like with and so stuff. hard in, in medical school what about like a like a mini class like a panel or something or like a you know like a one-time thing a workshop like on a weekend sure well then no nobody's coming if it's a weekend you have to it's mandatory a mandatory weekend this that's is right manner oh my gosh it's fun i'd rather I don't know. I, I find most doctors like doctors have bedside manner if they're like nice people in general. And if they're not, then they don't. I feel like it's sort of innate. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that bedside manner is just good manners? Yeah, it can't be taught. I feel like it's it's, it's you either have it or you don't. Mm. You'd have good bedside manner if you were a doctor. I would. Yeah, I don't have a lot of patience. I would like get I would be like good. Well, if I was a doctor, and, I would hope I'd have patience. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's just end this now. So we end up seeing George and Jerry continuing to talk about this. And Jerry has a funny line. He says to George, because he's all freaked out about this whole thing. Jerry says, hey, if you can't you just die with some dignity. <laughs> like Jerry has accepted this timeline where George is probably like, there's no way he can be successful and still live, but at least like be, you know, be, you know, uh, classy about it. Yes. George says, no, no, he cannot die with dignity. That will not happen. 
He didn't live with dignity. He's not going to die with dignity. (laughs) (laughs) So then Kramer comes in and explains what happened. Because it was a big shock to everybody why he ran out of that audition. I mean, yeah, I, I, I assume he never came back. Yeah, he never came back. Probably did not get the part. Yeah, he did not get the part. He started to run home. He got mugged in the park. That doesn't really pay off anywhere down the road. No, it doesn't pay off at all. There's no reason for that line. Yeah. And so we end up seeing that these guys stopped him. And now we find out that Kramer missed his chance. And now he can't get it back. It went away. It went away. The best thing he hears from Jerry, the best advice to not think about it. And Kramer says to him, how could you not think about it? Well, that's what you like tell your kids you're ever in the car and they have to like go to the bathroom. You're like, oh, we're 15 minutes away from the next rest stop. Like, just don't think about it. Yeah. So I guess it works the other way, too. Okay. So Elaine comes in <laughs> and Kramer just leaves very sheepishly. They have a funny line that says, oh, he's a little backed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> George is mentioning about these waitresses at the restaurant at Monk's. He's never had so much coffee in his life. <laughs> Maybe that would help Kramer. Oh, yeah. Kramer I mean, he, I'm sure Kramer tries coffee. He tried everything, even 100% brand flakes. Yeah. Elaine is upset because this is discriminatory, this hiring practice at the restaurant. So she is going to go down there and she's going to apply to get a job as a waitress. Uh, yeah. And she and she at, at some point here in this scene goes into Jerry's room without saying anything and comes back with his baggiest shirt. So then we end up with... The phone ringing. It's TV Elaine. She wants to talk with Jerry about the part. And now we're all assuming, oh, it's going to be this woman that Jerry was flirting with. Right. But instead, it's this other woman who we haven't yeah. seen yet before. They couldn't land Mariska Hargitay for the whole sit for the whole episode. Yeah. Now, this woman who is the TV Elaine, does she go on to do anything? Is she anybody? I don't think so. No. Okay. Elena Wall is her name. Married nope. to Dave Wall. That's my grandfather's name. <laughs> Any relation to Robert Wall? That's Wall, I guess. No. So she doesn't do anything, surprisingly. No. She does not go on to have a, a Piven-esque career. Not even, not even a Johnny Drama-esque career. <laughs> no. So Jerry and Elaine, this fake Elaine, are out at the diner or out at the restaurant. And so she's like, tell me about Elaine. I want to know everything about Elaine. And Jerry is just like, oh, she throws garbage out the window. She doesn't use uh, utensils when she eats spaghetti and it's just been going on and on about nonsense. Her favorite movie is shaft. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, this scene is my least favorite in the whole episode. Yeah. This is very about awkward. The kiss. Yeah. The whole kiss thing is awkward. Yeah. But anyway, we start this subplot about how this woman is obsessed with being Elaine, right? She only wants to be called Elaine. Now, is she obsessed with being Elaine because she wants to really get into the part? Is this a crazy actor thing or is this a crazy thing that she wants to be closer to Jerry? No, I think she's a method actor. She's like Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay, got it. I think that's also probably correct, but I feel like that they don't really drive that home. Listen, if they had another half hour, they would have gotten into that. And it doesn't really pay off or anything. It's just like, no, oh, no they break up thing. like with like 20 minutes to go in the episode. Yeah. It's just like a quirky thing in the episode. Yeah. So we end up seeing Kramer and TV Kramer at Monk's having a conversation. And I have to wonder if this actually transpired between Michael Richards and Kenny Kramer. It's a really good question. But also how, like, how did Kramer get this, you know, really uh, mean, like negative fake Kramer into Monk's? (laughs) I don't know. It's a good question. What does Kramer let the fake Kramer know about himself? 
Uh, he's talking about like how he eats his food. Mm-hmm. He's talking about his like uh, lovemaking prowess and yes. stuff. Well, not even his prowess, his favorite positions. He says, oh, yeah, okay. He tells yeah. a fake Kramer that he likes the bottom. Let them do all the work. <laughs> he eats spaghetti with just a fork, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> no sort of spoon or anything. Some people take no, this. You, who eats spaghetti with a spoon? Well, you could twirl it in the spoon. Like some people take the spaghetti and then twirl it on the fork and then have like sort of the spoon as a base to be twirling. I didn't even know that was a thing till just now. Okay, so you could I, play Kramer. I, and I've, I've heard this line like dozens of times. It never even occurred to me. Like, what does that mean? Mm. Who eats spaghetti with a fork? Yeah. Everyone eats spaghetti with a fork. <laughs> I guess my son eats it with his hands, but that's not. Okay. So anyway, we're they're getting into a little bit of an argument over I'm Kramer. No, I'm Kramer. Who's the real Kramer? I'm surprised fake Kramer even cares. <laughs> He's just there for the paycheck. The hamburger. Yeah. So Elaine comes in and she applies for the job. However, the manager tells Elaine, sorry, we're not hiring. And this really sets off Elaine. Now, Akiva, there seems to be a plot hole here where one of the waitresses told Elaine earlier that they were looking for another girl. Here comes Elaine to apply. The manager says, no, we're not looking for anybody. What was the disconnect? Well, maybe they're hiring. They're just not hiring her. Why? She had all references. She had a resume. Uh, You know, maybe she's overqualified. Maybe, you know, he's seen her around so many times. She's a little nutty. I don't know. Mm, that's possible. Maybe he only hires family, like the only people who can apply are people who are related to him. Yeah, maybe it's the kind of thing that happens in a workplace where it's like the workers think that they're going to be hiring somebody else, but the manager is like, oh, I can't really afford to pay anybody else. Or maybe the uh, the new monk's owner is an evil genius, and he told Elaine that they're his daughters, but they're not actually his daughters. Oh. And the, and like he knew that they would never call him on that. They're not going to be like, hey, are you you know so-and-so's daughters? So he just lied. And she was right all along. She had his number. Like, he only hires busty waitresses. So Elaine goes down to what office would you say this is? Uh, I would say the um, Equal Employment Office. Equal Employment Office. She complains about the waitresses. They're only hiring large-chested women. She says it's like a Russ Meyer movie in there. What's that? Well, I Googled Russ Meyer. I guess he was a director, like, sort of in the 60s that made a lot of movies that had women with large chests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, right. The guys don't know either, but he tells her. <laughs> he tells them. So we are shooting the pilot. And this is uh, just to note, this is uh, if you were watching this in syndication, this is the second episode now. So in the second episode, we're shooting the pilot and there is a line in the episode talking about haagen and they're arguing about that. It sounds like it's Danish, but they actually make it in New Jersey. And George is trying to give the Kramer a different read of the line in the episode. And it does not go well. Yeah, I also think the haagen line is probably like a deleted, you know, sort of something that was in the Seinfeld script that didn't make it. Because yeah. a lot of the things we see are actually things that happen on Seinfeld, but this didn't. Yeah. So the fake Kramer's reading the line like, they fooled me. And George wants him to read the line like, they fooled me. Yeah, Jared, George is right here. <laughs> Emphasis should be on the fooled. He is right. But he tells George he's not going to say the line the way that he wants him to say it. Now, I felt like this is very ballsy on the part of the fake Kramer. I feel like the fake Kramer is very confrontational with the co-creator of the show. Uh, listen, th- this guy does not care. He doesn't give a, you know, he, he's, he'll get in anybody's face. He's he, not just confrontational. He threatens to like, 
rip out his heart and shove it down his throat. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is basically a live pilot, Rob. Like, they, they don't have time to fire him like they would in a normal show, right? So he really has them by, you know, he has them by the throat here. Sure, for at least in terms of filming this first episode, but... No, because now they've aired the pilot. Like, normally you can replace someone after a pilot. This has already been aired, so it's weird to replace him. He's irreplaceable. They can kill him off, I guess. Yeah. I feel like Lee Garlington would disagree with you. <laughs> I guess, but they didn't replace her. They just got rid of her. I think that Lee Garlington is going to have a thing or two to say about this. Well, I do wonder. It's funny because he's giving the 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 uh, Lee Gar- the Kramer notes here. But uh, we said in a previous episode that Lee Garlington, one of the things she did wrong was she was giving Larry and Jerry notes during the episode of the pilot. Mm. I yeah. wonder if there's a little homage there. Don't do that. That's no good. Anyway, so now we have where Jerry and George are talking about this, what happened. And Jerry reminds George that from what I gather, the actors don't like getting this kind of feedback. Yeah, but, but uh, George assures Jerry that he is actually acting fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, we see that that is not the case because the new person who is filling in for Russell, she actually took a meeting with them earlier in the season when Russell was in Los Angeles. What is this woman's name? Rita. Rita. Rita really does not like this project, and she really does not care for Jerry's acting. She's uh, no, not, yeah, she is, uh Yeah, she's not a supporter of the show. Yes, and she's also not a big supporter of Russell, and she doesn't know where he is. One of the guys tells her, I think it's over a woman, and she has a line that's like, oh, how pathetic. Yeah. Rita, not really a, a, a redeemable character in this episode. A romantic, right. No. So we see Jerry in the fake Elaine. And so there's some drama between them about if they're breaking up or not. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it's funny because Jerry doesn't know that they were actually in a relationship to begin with. Yeah. Well, they did make out. Yeah. But it was part of the scene. Was it? It was practice. He was just it, he was just telling her for informational purposes how Elaine kisses. <laughs> so they get to the point where she's like, fine, can we still be friends? Like, yes. Okay. We could be still be friends. Uh, yeah, but that's really the end of her storyline right here. It's really the end of her storyline. So even though Jerry told George to let it go with the fake Kramer about the raisins, George still wants to confront Kramer about the raisins <laughs> and wants to, did you take my raisins? Yeah, which he'll do about three more times. <laughs> yes. He says, stay away from me. I don't like you. <laughs> if you've got any other problems about figs, prunes, any other dried fruit, stay out of my way. Yeah, I'm really into the dried fruit nowadays. But oh, really? really? Yeah, like if my wife will bring home like dried uh, mango or dried pineapple yeah. or something, it's ridiculously expensive. But it's yeah, I really like it. I feel like there's a lot of sugar in that. Oh, I don't think it's healthy. I just I, they're very addictive. Like I'll have like thirty of them before I even notice. You know what my favorite is? What? You ever have the Turkish apricot? No, what is that? Oh, it's like a apricot. It's very feels like uh, it's it's kind of chewy. It's good. Put that on your dried fruit list. All right, I'll put it. Is it should, now is that going on the same list that I have here with the Goldbergs <laughs> yeah. and everything? We'll come back and review that also. Okay, uh, Turkish apricot. I got it on my list. <laughs> That's good. So Russell calls up Elaine. He can't get a hold of her, and so somebody, some grip, walks by and accidentally spills some coffee on Russell. And Russell flips out and has a meltdown. Just fires the guy. Yeah, that's like a real Hollywood baller move. Well, on top of that, he ends up going into a rant about how I'm the president of NBC. I could have any woman I want. Yeah, I guess he confirmed that he can. Yeah, nobody have any- said you couldn't, sir. 
<laughs> but he's really upset. This is like losing. the last straw for Russell. Yeah, but he also losing everyone's respect having this rant in front of all the, you know, the, the grips and the stage people and whoever they are. Yeah. It's like a Christian Bale type moment for Russell. Yeah, or like Bill O'Reilly. Like, we're doing it live! <laughs> yeah. And so Jerry and George are talking back at the apartment and the biopsy is delayed. It's back Yeah, up. I mean, it is fair. Like, if you have Kramer. this test and, and nothing happens to it, you're going to be nervous. And we see all of a sudden Jerry is very upset about the acting here <laughs> that Jerry feels like this show is going to ruin his career. And this feels very uncharacteristic of Jerry to have this much self-doubt. Yeah, or to even care about his career, which he never seems to do. Like, even when they're doing the pilot, he only, like, he doesn't say, like, oh, this is going to be great for me. He says, like, oh, George, you're actually going to have, like, something to do now. Have we ever seen Jerry having a crisis in self-confidence before in the show in four seasons? No, we we haven't so far. I'm trying to think if we do again. But we, we rarely see him care about his career in any fashion. Yeah. So... He obviously doesn't want to do things like wear the puffy shirt and things like that. But that's true. He, but that's just general embarrassment. I'm not even sure if that's career related. Mm. We'll see in two weeks. So he's worried that he's going to be exposed as somebody who can't act. Uh, well, yeah, he will be exposed as someone who can't act. And also they're realizing that the woman who's playing Elaine, she's out of her mind. <laughs> the guy who's playing Kramer, he's also insane. And so... <laughs> Unfortunately for George, he confronted him about the raisins and he's no closer to unraveling the mystery of the raisins than he was before all this. Yeah, this whole set is a mess. Everything is going haywire. Everything's going haywire. Kramer comes in, no luck on that thing he's waiting for. Yeah, and uh, they they tell him to take it to the next level. (laughs) The next level would be, it's time to consider the dreaded apparatus. I do like, this is like the contest where like they won't say, they won't like say the word. They're just, uh, yeah, they're just beating around the bush. And we end up seeing that uh, no inserting in that area is what Kramer says. It's a fair rule. And Jerry says, that's not that bad. But George disagrees with that. According to George, it is that bad. How does he know? (laughs) I don't know. Well, how does Jerry know it's not that bad? Yeah, I guess. Maybe they both know from each other. Everybody knows a lot about this. All right. So Lane comes in. An investigation is underway at Monk's. Yeah, those guys are there investigating all day and night, it seems. All right. And Elaine, they talk her into coming to the pilot taping. She doesn't want to go because she doesn't want to see Russell. They're pretty casual with like Elaine and Kramer. This is like the biggest day of Jerry and George's lives. Mm-hmm. And like Elaine and Kramer are like, hey, you guys coming? They're like, nah. Yeah. Well, Kramer thing, I can understand. Yeah, you don't want to leave your house in that in that scenario. <laughs> and I guess Elaine's also like she has a legitimate stalker. So, yeah, they're both. Re- I, I mean, like Jerry's parents don't come. George's parents don't come. Yeah. The stalker thing gets treated very lightly here by everybody, especially on the heels of Crazy Joe Davola and the stalking situation that Elaine had earlier this season. Yeah. For Elaine, she's not really having flashbacks the last time she got stalked or anything like that. She just doesn't want to be inconvenienced by Russell. Yeah, it's more of an awkward thing, but still. All right, so we are going to get to the taping of the pilot here in New York. We see a montage of a bunch of different things getting ready which include fake Kramer eating the raisins and Elaine wearing a disguise. What do you think of Elaine's disguise? She looks good as a blonde. Yeah, she pulls it off. Although there's going to be a guy in the audience who's going to recognize, like, Elaine, it's me, Wilton Marshall. From 1978, summer camp or whatever. You haven't changed a bit. So I guess it's not a great disguise. And that doesn't go anywhere, but it's just funny that she makes this big disguise and a guy recognizes her from 1978. Yeah. And we end up seeing Kramer at the pharmacy buying the dreaded apparatus that he is looking for. 
Does he buy it? It looks like he's almost like stealing it. It looks like he's stealing it, but I think he does buy it. I'm not sure. We'll ask Michael Richards if we ever have him on. That'll be the first question. Well, obviously, we know what the last question is. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up seeing a little bit with Jerry and fake George, where fake George is getting very nervous. Yeah, I mean, just like real George. Forgot all his lines. Yeah. And then we also see real George backstage. He calls into the doctor's office to get the prognosis on the biopsy. And they tell him that it is negative and he's very upset. I feel like this has got to be at least the third time we're making this negative is good when you are trying to get test results joke on Seinfeld. Yeah, especially with the prognosis negative movie. It is. I mean, it is confusing. Like that does still hold up. Like you hear like a, an athlete on your favorite team, like, you know, he had x-rays during the game and they're negative or whatever. Like, and you always like scratching your brain like, wait, is that good? I never remember. Yeah. But yeah, they have they have gone to this well before. Yes. So George is good. He finally feels like finally I'm not dying. And so now I can be successful and rich. I think it's the opposite. Now that you're not dying, you have to be a failure again. <laughs> but he doesn't see it that way. No. So here we go. And we see one last thing before the show tapes. As Jerry is warming up the crowd, we see crazy Joe Davola jump from the stands. And this has sort of a very weird sort of freeze frame to it where we freeze frame on crazy Joe Davola jumping from the stands. Yeah, it was edited very poorly. I, I, it's a good idea, but I, I, it's hard. Like, I, I wonder if there could have been a tie in somewhere where like he jumps and on somebody or something or, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done differently, but it looks weird. Okay. So we come back from commercial. It's a week later and the time is super wonky in all of this because it's supposed to be a week after the pilot was filmed, but everybody is acting like it's just like the next day. And so George and Jerry are talking about like, yeah, what was it that crazy Joe Davola yelled out? And it turns out it was six Semper Tyrannus, which is what John Wilkes Booth yelled out when he shot Lincoln. Yeah. I, what does that mean again? T- t- down like with tyranny a, or down, down with, with tyrants? Tyranny. Yeah. And so it seems like this was an assassination attempt. So now, but this brings up an interesting question. Can you assassinate a, like a, a celebrity? Yeah. What's the difference between murder and assassination? Yeah. So f- like for public figures, like politicians, we know it's assassination. I don't know. Is it an ass- like, is it an assassination? If you're just going after a, a public figure, but you're going after them intentionally, it's a good question. Hmm. It's a good question. I would say that probably assassinate is just for people in some sort of political office. You're probably right. Or like a public figure. Like you can assassinate like a king or something like that. I'm not saying you should, but you could in theory. Yeah, somebody in the world of politics. So Uh for instance, you, you know, could you, what about somebody in a position of power? Like could you assassinate a head of a network? Yeah, that's what I was saying, like a CEO. It has to be a powerful person. Yeah, like, could you assassinate the CEO of a company? I think you could. Yeah, but you couldn't assassinate an actor. What if it was an actor who was, say, in some part of the world doing a charitable act? Hmm, that's a good one. Say Bono is off, like, doing some some mission in Africa. Could Bono be assassinated? I feel like Bono's important enough at this point that he could be assassinated. I think so. Because he's like become, he's probably like involved with the UN, you know. Yeah. He's become like, the, the definition of assassinate is to murder an important person in a surprise attack for political or religious reasons. Hmm. 
So guess, you'd have you were, to like murder Jerry for political reasons. It would be a motive. But wouldn't this be different in 2015? Like, wouldn't this make a lot of buzz for the pilot if there was an assassination attempt by crazy? Oh Joe yeah, the ratings would be way up. Yeah, like people would be talking about this, and people couldn't wait to see it. Ratings for episode two might drop off, but this would yeah. definitely go to air. Especially since episode two might be you know a year away. <laughs> so. Anyway, Kramer comes in. He is dancing. Congratulations. Everybody is happy. Now, how is this possible? Because this is a week later. It was, are we to assume that Kramer is still feeling good one week after the fact? Or are we to assume that it took seven more days for the apparatus to kick in? I think maybe like he waited like a few days, like half the week. And, and now he's on the upswing again. Okay. But maybe they haven't seen him. So he's just like giving them an update. Kramer gives the update and he says it was wet and wild no oh boy too much information <laughs> better than it was real and it was spectacular yeah, I, guess. I guess that would have been actually he should have said that that's a better line so everybody is there they're gonna watch the show on tv we end up seeing in the couch cushions elaine finds jerry's father's wallet from the beginning of the season yeah this is a great callback yeah, it makes you happy. It's almost like too good. Like nobody's thinking about the wallet anymore, but it, it is a great, uh, you know, it's good that they're thinking about things like that. It's so tacked on. I feel like, does anybody even remember that happened? No, you know, and, and when he lost the wallet uh, in the wallet and the watch, we did discuss like, oh, they're going to find it in the finale. But, it, you know, that was so long ago that we've like, you know, 16 episodes ago, like we've forgotten about it. All right. So let's talk about the actual airing of the show. Jerry, what do you think of the opening of Jerry? It's very cheesy, like intentionally cheesy, like late 80s style, right? Yeah. They're really going with the Comic Sans font. It almost looks like the opening of Full House. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like very sitcom-y. With Tom Pepper as Kramer. Uh, Tom Pepper, I like the name. Tom Pepper, Sandy Robbins, and Michael Barth. So we see Jerry's TV apartment is a lot nicer than his real TV apartment. It's true. It is like a very spacious, big apartment. <laughs> And as the show is airing, we start to see a lot of the people from season four who are out there watching the show. And we let's go through them. We see Susan with Allison and they appear to be dating now. Yeah, I think it's uh, Mona, though. No, is it Mona? I thought, I thought Mona was the girl. No, Mona was the girl that she was with in that episode, but Allison is the woman that George was dating when he told her oh, that right. he was he switched naked. Mona for Allison. You're right. You're yeah. Right. So and he, she ends up with the news. So that worked out. Oh, that's funny. I wrote down Mona. I wrote down all the people. Yeah. It was Seinfeld. Wiki is wrong. Seinfeld. Wiki has Mona. I believe it is the. Blonde. No, it makes sense that it would be Allison. I, I don't remember the difference, and I'm bad with faces anyway. Well, Allison was blonde, and then the Mona was a brunette, and this is a blonde woman that she's with. So if it know, could either. be, if Mona dyed her hair blonde, then it could well be Mona. But it looked like it was the woman because Mona doesn't know George, and you have a moment where it's Susan turning to Allison. They're both like George. Because they yeah, so you're probably right. him. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense if it's Allison. Uh, yeah, especially since Allison is, credit, is, uh, is in IMDb. So yeah. Okay. So then we have the old man and his aide. They're watching the show. Uh, yeah, and they recognize... Uh, all these people just recognize an LD. They weren't even... What, it, see, when you had three channels, you just watched what was on. They're not watching because they know... Most of these people aren't watching... Because they know Jerry's show is on. Yeah. They're just watching because it's on TV. Well, I think that he recognizes Jerry. 
Yeah, but I don't think the old man was making appointment viewing for for you know to watch to like you know that he knew oh this guy who I hate's show is on like yeah. he just happens to have the television on. Yeah, he just happened to have the TV on that night. So that's the idiot that took all my records. Watching in the dark. <laughs> all right, and then. With the next person is watching is the Virgin and JFK Jr. Boy, this Virgin, uh, she's always in bed with uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah, she has a lot of scenes in bed in general. Yeah, uh, JFK Jr.'s voice is wacky also. Yeah, it's Larry David, right? But it's Larry David doing like a horrible Boston accent or something. Yeah, he's doing like a horrible JFK accent. Basically. And <laughs> there's a couple of times... In this episode where people in this montage end their beats with, uh, nevertheless. Yeah, nevertheless comes up like 40 times in this episode. <laughs> the Virgin, she ends up realizing that it's Jerry. I think that, is it JFK Jr. that says who it is? Yeah. And she's, oh, he's horrible. He's horrible. And that's when JFK Jr. says, oh, well, nevertheless. <laughs> we see the Drake is watching the show. And is that the with Drake, the Drake yet? yet? Yeah. They're back together. Are they back together? I mean, they're watching TV together. And by the way, they just got them a huge TV. Obviously, we saw them give it away at the end of the episode. But now they're watching on one of those super old school, like portable televisions. They're like four inches. Yeah. You ever have one of those? (laughs) I've seen them. I never owned one. I used to bring one to like the Jets game because if the Jets played like the late game, you could watch the early games on it. Yeah. And so the Drake loves the sign while the Drake ad hates the sign. Hates the sign. We see Ping and Cheryl. Yeah, who knew they lived together? Cheryl's like a successful lawyer. She's living with Ping. Maybe Ping just sleeps on the couch. Yeah, may, I mean, I guess he, you know, he has a, like the settlement hasn't kicked in yet. Yeah. And Cheryl thought that Jerry was dark and disturbed and Ping is making fun of her. Yeah. We see the bubble boy and who is a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld. And then ultimately he's still unhappy with them. I mean, he doesn't have the remote anymore, the bubble boy. Yeah. He says, this is a piece of crap. <laughs> Shut it <laughs> off. Give me the remote. Yeah, they used to have the remote on his side of the plastic. That was the whole thing. I think he's grounded from the whole incident with George. Oh. Did I tell you the Bubble Boy uh, tweeted me back? No. What did he say? Remember, because he's a writer on the show, so he... Yes. We asked him to come on, and he never responded, but uh, he eventually got back to me. He's like, oh, a million apologies. I don't really check Twitter. I just saw this now. Okay. And? No, I never repacked him. <laughs> he's got nothing. He's done. He's like done with the show at this point. Okay. We're going to have the bubble boy on the talk about the mango. Like, I guess we <laughs> that, could he be as the bubble boy. Now you're going to have to pay him for that. Probably. How much you have to pay him? I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, what's Banya's rate to show up at these events. I don't know. Can we get some Seinfeld character to come on as Seinfeld on the podcast? Or as, <laughs> as their character? Like, I don't, is that funny? Like, do we want that? I think it was sure you could get the soup Nazi for for 50 bucks to, you know, pretend to be the soup Nazi for five hours. Well, that Israeli uh, Pepsi Zero commercial really screwed us up. I think think that's really threw off his. Why you think they paid him so much? I think so. Now he's back in demand. I don't think he's back in demand, but I think that his rate is artificially inflated. How bad was that commercial? Did you ever watch it? I watched like the first minute of it. Oh, boy. I got bored. Oh, boy. What? Have you ever heard of a two-minute commercial before? <laughs> okay. So then we come back to everybody watching the show. Uh, we see that Elaine was very taken with the butler. And it turns out that he was John Ritter's cousin. It's an interesting fact that we learn. 
So we go back for a little bit to everybody watching the show and we find out that Elaine really liked the guy who played the butler. And it turns out that we find out a little did you know fact. He was actually John Ritter's cousin. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> and so we see a scene from the part of the episode where the butler comes in. And the butler is working in the bedroom. And Kramer, fake Kramer, wants the butler to go over to his house because his house is a pigsty. Yeah, but this is, by the way, this is such like a scam. Have you ever, have you ever tried to pull this or like, you Have know, my like, friend's butler come over to my house? Not a butler, but like a housekeeper. I've never tried to get somebody. It. Someone was telling my wife and I once that like their parents have like a full time housekeeper. Yeah. So like when she's, let's say she's over there for a week, uh, like she'll put her laundry in or like she knows that like the lady won't do her laundry. So like she just has like three things that she really wants washed. So she'll like just like throw her socks or her underwear in. And she said, like, the housekeeper picked them out and didn't do them. Wow. Like, she, t- she like, went through the whole thing and sifted out her stuff. Like, sorry, you don't pay me to do your laundry. Yeah, that's a ballsy move. Yeah, but I guess, like, uh, you know, she was laughing about it. I don't think they fired the housekeeper. You know, you got to put your foot down. Otherwise, everyone's coming over to do your, you know, to do your laundry. So the butler comes back. He tells Jerry that he needs more pledge. <laughs> and Jerry is upset because he bought two cans of pledge. He doesn't even have any wood in the house. <laughs> What's he using the pledge for? The butler says it goes fast. Do you think that he's doing sort of like whippets of that he's getting high off the aerosol from the pledge? I don't know like what's in pledge, but very positive. I guess that's the implication. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the implication? I don't know. Maybe he's selling pledge on the street. Mm. You know, Tide was used for like drug deals. Uh, I heard. For what? Like they, they use Tide as Laundering some sort money? of. Laundering money? I'm on fire in this episode. Again. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, if you Google it, it's complicated, but Tide is like. Very tied into like drug deals now that they trade people tied instead of money. All right, well, I don't want to give anybody any ideas on this show. <laughs> now we we'll use Febreze. And now Elaine comes in and it turns out that there was a history between Elaine and the butler. She went on a date with him without Jerry's permission. This is fake Elaine. We fake should Elaine. <laughs> fake Elaine. And, and the butler. Yes. Yes. And the fake Elaine wants to know, well, why? What's the big deal? And he says, because he's my butler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That's like a little tough there. Then we go back to seeing other people watching the show. We see Jerry's parents. They are loving the show. How could anybody not like him? Yeah. How could you not like Jerry? Unless you're uh, the Drakeette. We see Calvin Klein with, what was this woman's name? Uh, Tia. Tia. Calvin Klein says about Jerry, he has a casual elegance. I do like that they're putting random people together here. Like Ping and Cheryl should not be in one place, but at least they're cousins. Like why are Calvin Klein and Tia like on the couch watching? Are they in a relationship? No, but at least they work together. She was a model at Calvin Klein. I mean, she was wearing the perfume, the ocean. Yeah. So at least they I mean, have I guess a she's relationship. the top model. You know, he, she, she can come over, hang out with Calvin Klein, I guess. Yeah. We see Sidra and Salman Rushdie. Yeah, well, Sal Bass. <laughs> Sal Bass, that's right. Did you Allegedly, notice that he's Salman a member Rushdie. of our health club? Yeah, so she's just hanging out. Just hanging out with him. And Salman Rushdie, or Sal Bass, Says, uh, you know that Kim Novak had some big breasts. I guess he's trying to get the same answer that Jerry was. Because mm, he's trying to find out if they're real and spectacular. I, I think that's that's what they're trying to say, right? I guess so. I feel like missed opportunity here to tie in. We have a whole other storyline about the big breasts here in this episode with the diner. I don't know if what we could have done to have Salman Rushdie I mean, he calls back the Kim Novak had some big breasts, but we have in this very episode a whole subplot about how all the waitresses at Monk's are large chested. 
So how do you tie that in? What's your proposal? Instead of watching the show, could they be at Monk's with the TV on and then there's uh, with the waitresses there? I guess. I mean, there's no TV at Monk's and it's like a little bit out because they're just showing everybody on their couches watching. But there's something there. Yeah. We have to we have to workshop this. A or little, could but the line be, you know, <laughs> that coffee shop has some waitresses that have large breasts. Yeah, I guess he could say that, but then it's like out of nowhere. It, it, it we won't understand that the that necessarily that it's connected to Sidra. If he says that, then it's like back to the other storyline. Okay. What if Sidra says, you know, I got a job at that coffee shop. Okay, so that now we're talking. If Sidra got a job at the coffee shop, that would be a very good time. Okay, good. And but then it turns out like she's cousins with the guy, and she's <laughs> yeah. also a relative. I really like that. <laughs> My cousin got me a job at the coffee shop. <laughs> All right, and then Newman is watching the Yankee game and sleeping. Yes. And so Jerry ends with some closing stand-up about how if you name a baby Jeeves, you've pretty much mapped out his future. I think this is a pretty good joke here in the end of Jerry. Yeah, his his fake jokes are better than the real ones in the stand-up. Yeah. And so we end up going back to Jerry's apartment. Everybody's excited. They're going to go out, and we end up getting a phone call from Rita Kearson, who is now the head of the network, because Russell is no longer with the network. He has disappeared. And she does not see eye to eye with Russell on this project, and it's canceled. But the show just ended five minutes ago. Oh, I just got the job, she says. <laughs> I mean, the timeline for this episode, like, the things that happen in this episode, they need a year for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, casting a pilot happens in, like, January, and then, like, they're shown and selected in, like, April, May, and then the earliest time it can air is September. Yeah. You know, how do you put in the music? How did they make... They hadn't even cast the show a week ago. Like, how do they even make, you know... Uh, like the opening montage and credits. Yeah. <laughs> they have time for all this. They did it all very quickly. It was like an SNL episode that they hosted. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would have like the mayhem of an SNL episode, but yeah, it was, uh, and they did a very impressive job rushing this to the table. So everybody goes to monks and we see that monks is super crowded and super busy with everybody that is from the department of what, what did you call it? Uh, equal opportunity. Yes. And so everybody is there now. And Elaine is pissed because these guys are supposed to be investigating this place, not be eating there all the time. Uh, yeah, these guys seem to be uh, very, uh, you know, they're really on the case here. Yeah. And so get to the bottom of this, we find out that they had lunch there. They had dinner there. The manager says, you guys should just move in. They get some free pie or something. Yeah. Elaine tells them that uh, you're not going to get away with this. And then we find out that all the waitresses there are his daughters. I still think he's lying, especially because remember when Elaine was asking and he like looks her up and down four times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I do like your Terry Hatcher thing, though. That, now that you ruined the episode for me, that would have been great. It's shady. So you must be very proud. Why is George acting like such a weirdo at this? I don't know. The whole thing is like he's just he's almost like uh, ad libbing nonsense there. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you must be very, very proud. Let's get a party. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Look the master ceremonies all of a sudden. Yeah. And now because they're out of work, George doesn't know what he's going to do for a job now. Yeah, and Kramer suggests work for Greenpeace. Yeah. Cut to, we are now seeing Russell out on the Greenpeace mission. Now, is that Larry David who's on the boat with him? Yeah, it's, uh, it's Larry Charles is on the boat with him, and I, I wasn't really checking uh, that closely, 
But Larry David's voice is there. I'm not, like they're also wearing the hoods over their faces. Yeah. So it may be LD and Larry Charles, but Larry David's voice is definitely involved also. It's definitely involved. According to Wikipedia, Larry David is man on the raft one and Larry Charles is man on the raft two. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but yeah, they're both there. Okay. So they're there and they're talking about what Russell is doing. And then we end up seeing, does Russell die? Yeah, Russell dies. I mean, we don't it's seen off camera. It's shown off camera, but yeah, we're we're led to believe Russell is dead. We've and certainly then never seen. He him. had the pilot for Jerry with him, and it's floating in the ocean. Yeah, I guess that was just like to, just to show you the final moment. I don't know why he held the pilot, unless like it would have been funny if he had a picture of a lane and it was floating in the ocean. Yeah. All right. I don't know about this ending. Uh, yeah, it needs work. I think you may have solved it. Like you tightened it up a little bit with the Sidra. But yeah, the Greenpeace stuff doesn't work. What do you think? All you, right. had a, you had an alternate ending. So we have Russell, who's obsessed with Elaine. And we have this actress in the show who's obsessed with being Elaine, being a method actress. Couldn't we have Russell and this woman get together? Yeah, but they'd have to run off somewhere because why else would they lose the pilot otherwise? Yeah, and she gets her own show. The actress who's playing Elaine... <laughs> They build a show around the Elaine character and fire Jerry and George. And then this woman goes off with Russell. Oh, I really like it. Oh, oh good. I like it. Something like that. I, I don't know. It's exactly better than getting a call two minutes after the episode aired from, from the lady. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. But you can have Russell give the call and say, you know, he's spiteful. He hates Elaine. He hates that. Like he, Russell finds out he sees Elaine there in the disguise and finds out that she really is friends with them because that never really pays off. And then as sort of a spiteful move, he ends up canceling their show and taking Elaine who he falls for because she has everything that the other Elaine has. And so he can have, he is a powerful guy at NBC. He can have anybody that he wants. And so he could have this Elaine. I really like it. Good. I'm okay, in. good. It needs some we need some work, needs some fine tuning. But the Greenpeace thing is just so out of left field. Yeah, I mean it's brought up earlier by Elaine, but still, yeah, it doesn't like the scene itself, like it's the same thing with the crazy Joe Devola thing. Like, don't write the scene if it's not gonna work visually, you know, like him jumping over. Like fix it up if it's not gonna work visually. Okay. We have all these people that come in from season four. Who's the biggest season four snub? It's a good question. That and I really should have done like a deep dive because I was 100% sure you'd ask that question. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm there's very nobody. Predictable. Uh, you know, the junior mint, there's nobody like the, you know, the guy who Elaine, you know, the, the boyfriend that gets fat and gets skinny. Yeah. Like, there's nobody from the junior mint. Uh, right. But really, the biggest miss is, is from the same episode as Dolores. Dolores. That would be a good one. Yeah. George's parents are notable snubs. Yeah, but I feel like they're not there for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe they weren't available or maybe they were already like had the mindset that we're switching to Jerry Stiller, Frank. Um, and, you know, so I think Dolores off the top of my head, Dolores is the biggest, uh, the biggest snub. Yeah, I'm looking at the season four episodes. Uncle Leo is another notable snub. Yeah. That we don't have him in the mix. Susan's parents. Uh, yeah, Susan's parents, I guess they were very guess- connected to the season. So they yeah. could be there. Also, nobody from the trip, although there was, you know, like maybe that lady from the trip. But I, there's no Kramer, so I don't know who she's watching the episode for. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, Susan's parents definitely could be in there. Uh, oh, you know, an- another good one from the airport, the serial killer on Time Magazine. Like, <laughs> that would see be him good. watching in jail and be like, I'm going to come out one day and kill those guys. 
There was the woman from the outing, the reporter. Yeah, she could have been there, although I don't know if you like just know who she is just by seeing her. Yeah. Maybe she's like watching the show and like, are those two guys an item? Like, uh, not, is anything wrong with that? Dalrymple's daughter. Like, there's a lot of people who are major characters in the, you know, the guy with B.O. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the guy with B.O. <laughs> there are a lot of characters from this season. A lot of but at a certain point, season. like, people complained about the series finale. That there was like too bloated, too many of these. And they did cut out a few like George Steinbrenner. Yeah. So um, I, to my knowledge, there were none cut. And it would help if there was more like inside look type stuff to find out. But. Uh, you know, they could have had less probably before more. No. Yeah, I think so. Like nobody would have been crying if there was no Drake and Drakeettes. <laughs> that storyline was already solved. That's right. So you feel like that Seinfeld was tipping us off here as to where they might be going wrong with a finale. This feels like this could have been a series finale. Like if you move this whole season to season nine, it does work as a series finale. Obviously, you have to tinker with the end. But yeah, yeah it, there's definitely, you know sparks of what's to come here all right akiva let's talk ratings ratings how did you do on this one uh yeah i mean i'm curious what you have to say it's there are definitely funny moments it's not just like a content where we're like we're having a lot of stuff thrown at us and it's not funny it is a very funny episode it's very messy right there's like a lot that that is like all over the place so it's a tough and it's also an hour it's tough to really you know uh give it too high or too low of a rating yeah, for me, I would say that this was an episode that I went into with super high expectations. I remember really loving this in the moment. And I remember watching this a bunch of times because I thought it was so great that they brought everybody back. But on the rewatch, I have to say it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, and I would agree. To me, it's an average episode. There are moments also like, you know, the reveal that the waitresses are all his daughters. Like, that's very funny. But the second time, maybe that doesn't hold up as well. And again, there's a big mess in the second scene. The Kramer storyline's not great. So I have this as the number 80 episode. Number 80. Okay, I'm not going to fight that. Yeah. Sounds about right. So tell me, is there anything from this episode that would have been different in 2015? We're discussing the pilot making process. That certainly has changed. Anything else? I mean, it didn't even hold up then. A lot of the episodes. (laughs) I don't know how it would hold up in 2015. Yeah. And so I don't know if there's anything else that's a big plot point from the episode in terms of things uh, based on technology. Yeah. I wonder why they decided to like make the when, they know how TV works. They're TV writers. I wonder why they decided to make the timeline so like abbreviated. Because the storyline wouldn't have worked if it was the traditional way. Right. I guess you need Kramer, especially the Kramer storyline. Like you can't be backed up for six months. <laughs> that's right. All right, Akiva, let's get into some of our Seinfeld emails. Of course, they come to us every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Let's start off with Craig. Craig from Vancouver. And he has a, uh, a number of points, but he talks about in his email, Crazy Joe Davola, he did not like how the story wrapped. After hanging around this show for a whole season, they leave the story like that. What happened to Joe Davola? Does he go to prison, the psych ward for murder? Why did he never come back to get the tyrant Jerry? Does he show up for the finale? No, he's not in the finale. Uh, So what is he institutionalized? Maybe he dies. (laughs) Maybe he joined Greenpeace. I doubt it. That's not a crazy Joe DeVola type of thing. Yeah. Craig also says that Elaine likes to talk about random stuff during sex. Allegedly, she has sex like Robin Akiva do Seinfeld podcast. Hey, oh, now you're getting weird. That's not weird. And also, Craig says, in closing, I can't believe how fast the season went. I also can't believe how much I like this season more thanks to the podcast. 
I really thought that the Jerry pilot dominated the season, but I see now that I was wrong. For a season shift podcast, I mean a podcast that would be a break in between the two. If there isn't a great idea, I wish you would just get into the season five. I didn't even bother listening to the last one because I felt like a lot of work to have to research all those shows. Well, time well, I for did me the to research, let, buddy. <laughs> time for me to let go of the rope. Maybe I will make it out of the sea and be back for season five. Russell couldn't survive, but I might. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> so Craig votes no at other types of show. No other types got, of off season. I just podcast. got a tweet saying uh, that I want the hundred, the top hundred episodes show. Top hundred episodes show. Top hundred television shows. Sorry, my my all time top hundred TV shows. You have hundred TV shows. Yeah, I mentioned a couple weeks ago my my all time hundred through one top television shows. I don't want to do a top hundred anything unless it's a very fast top one hundred. Well, yeah, I'm, obviously, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on <laughs> on Sequest DSV or whatever. Is that on the list? I think it, it was. It was definitely up for consideration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As of this point, I feel like we are just preparing to go right into season five. That's fine with me. That's fine with me. So if we have a good I idea, looking, I was looking at a week of of watching the SNL from Jason Alexander, the Cheers finale, Mom, the Goldbergs, and the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, let's just go right into season five. Because then if we have something good, let's not do a half-baked idea. Let's say something good for in between season five and six. Okay, sounds good. In six months or whatever. We got an email from Colin who says, Great podcast. I'm a pizza guy and I love listening to your podcast while I'm driving around delivering pizza. Delivery people make quite a few appearances in the series, so I'd like to offer my services as a delivery guy expert. And unlike... Hired. Yeah, unlike Dr. Thomas in Australia, I actually am a pizza guy already. Ha-ha. Ooh, shots fired. Dr. Shots Tom. fired. <laughs> wow. Boy, I, we need all of our commentators to get along. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Okay. Let's go to Amir. Amir says, FYI, I was the brother who got engaged outside of Shea Stadium. All right. Good callback to last week. And his brother got us uh, Jonas Suspedes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. you know, we didn't talk about the Mets this week, but I think that if the Mets go into a nosedive, we need to just complain about them again, and they'll do everything right for the next few days. And it'll, it'll sound completely out of date by the time everyone listens to right. it. But it's a good time capsule show. Totally. Amir says, I'm incredibly confused as to what the storyline of the pilot is. The actors auditioning are reading scenes about the massage, dinky donuts, Vandalay Industries, and more. All those plots, in addition to the Butler storyline, seem impossible to fit into a normal pilot script. I do think that there are sides that are written for an audition that might not necessarily be in the episode. Yeah, I think that's what they do. Yeah. The auditions include, according to Amir, what was that look, Elaine and Jerry hookup storyline. Yet in the finale, when NBC president James Kierborough wants the two of them to get together, George is initially hesitant to include relationship humor. What the heck is going on with this pilot? Yeah, it is all over the place. Okay. Also, Amir says that about the bubble boy with the remote control that we covered. And also, finally, says, what is with Elaine's whole speech about how she can't date him because he's not into television? Didn't she try to write an episode of Murphy Brown? Oh, that's fair. Yeah, but you know what? She's been burned. Like, she's yeah. out of it. You know, she's the industry has chewed her up, spit her out, and she doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. She wants to get out the game. So here is uh, Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny DeSilvera wants to know from us, I was curious if you two realize that Jerry's refrigerator is in actuality sticking out into the hallway to make more room on the set. 
Yeah, if you ever see a full view of the set, it really takes you out of, uh, you know, of, of the show. What should so, I be looking for? What do you mean? In terms of the the refrigerator is jutting out. Oh, so there's just, no wall there. Oh, okay. I got it. So you're just saying that if you were to take a look at the way the hallway is set up in our like four dimensional view, yes. then the way it goes it is geographically impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you notice that the guy who was the director in the episode is also the guy who's in the in, all over the inside looks? Oh, yeah, that was the same guy, right? That's Tom Chironis? Yeah. Yeah, but they don't introduce him in the episode, which is strange. Was he playing himself? And, like, nobody knew what he looked like then because there was no such thing as the inside looks for years. Yeah. I got the sense also that a lot of the guys who were at the Monk's Diner at the end of the season or at the end of the episode, I feel like those were a lot of guys from the writer's room. Oh, no, they probably, there were so many people, they probably had like the gaffers and the stagehands and that stuff too. Yeah. I like gaffer. I don't know what they do, but it's a cool term. (laughs) They work with the lighting gaffers. Gaffer. What about the grip? I think the grip also is uh, helping out with the lighting. And the best boy? I'm not sure best boy. (laughs) What a terrible name. (laughs) And then finally, to wrap up season four, Jester wants to know, Last time we saw this therapist, George yelled at her for disliking the pilot. Why did he go back to her? I mean, you know, George is a glutton for punishment. He wants to fight with this person. Okay. Also, Chester wants to know, was the Kramer raisin stealing a reference to the guy who played Elaine's dad stealing a knife? Oh, that's interesting. I did. I did think that, that like there was a little bit of like a crazy person coming on set. There, he may be based on Walton Bennis. Hmm. Also, Chester wants to know, who is this Morris Brandis credited as the executive producer on Jerry? I Googled him and got no results. Yeah, I don't know. Keep researching, Chester. <laughs> and finally, he wants to know, there's only one bathroom in all of 30 Rock? Yeah, someone who worked there for four years. I can, I can give you a, a detailed uh, breakdown of all the bathrooms. There's, there's many bathrooms. Yeah. And of course, my trick is always go to the bathroom of the show that's not on right now. Like if Jimmy Fallon's off for the summer, go to the Fallon bathrooms. <laughs> Well, because you worked at 30 Rock, right? Yeah, four years, yeah. So you know where all the bathrooms are. I can tell you where the bathrooms are. All right, so that was definitely, Kramer was very misinformed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He could have gone upstairs, downstairs. You could have avoided a lot of agony for Kramer. Yeah, listen, if you just called me. But he didn't have a cell phone yet. That's the problem with a lot of these Seinfeld scenes. All right, Akiva. That's it for season four. Congratulations to us. Wow, boy. Four ninths of the way done, I guess. Four ninths (laughs) of the way done. If you count season one, which was like a few episodes. Which you shouldn't. No. So look at us. What's the hashtag for this episode? Oh boy. <laughs> nevertheless seems to be a uh, good suggestion. Yeah, we could do nevertheless. That's fine. There you go. Nevertheless is the hashtag. Let us know if you made it through, what you thought of season four, any thoughts that you have heading into season five. We love to hear from you guys on Twitter, especially Akiva. I love to hear from them. Yeah. Do you not? Yeah, I love to hear from people. I want to hear everything. Yes. Uh, it's also, we, you know, we rank the seasons at the end. I think this is a no-brainer, right? Our new number one season is season four. For sure. And, it's, uh, and so far, our rankings are four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one. And we'll say sense. season five is going to make a big run at the top. Yeah. It's coming for the crown. I think it definitely will. So let's go ahead and get into just real quick. I like to give some star ratings that you've given us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps us with the show, with getting the word out. We greatly appreciate it. We're up to 86 ratings in iTunes. 
Let's get to 100. Okay. Of course, you could rate or review the show at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Let's go ahead and uh, tell you uh, a most recent one. This is from The Bill That Sucks, who says, I feel like my car stunk less after listening to this podcast. Five stars for you. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, The you. Bill That Sucks. Thank you. I'm going to say that that was a helpful review. <laughs> it made my car stink less. <laughs> wow. Hopefully this is like he was in traffic or something like that. And metaphorically, it stunk less. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. And again, the start of a season, a great time to leave us a review or some feedback. We also want to hear from you on our website at postshowrecaps.com. So go ahead and uh, do that. Akiva, anything else? Uh, no, so we're 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 officially we're going to do uh, the mango next week. We're not doing any between season four and five nonsense. That's right. right. That's right. Get head and full head of steam. Listen, we we skip those between uh, season breaks, and we're done like a whole month earlier in 2017. <laughs> wow! I'll start <laughs> planning my vacation now. Oh boy! So uh, next week is the mango. All right. So thanks to Mike Moore, who writes our outstanding recaps on posterrecaps.com. And thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who I believe edited all of season four. So great job to Scott. And then that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week. Can't wait to talk the mango. Happy season four ending and season five beginning, Akiva. Right back at you. Nevertheless. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.